interesting it's been to be with you over this weekend. Um, I've had an opportunity to chat with some of you and discuss where the Lord might be leading you in your life and uh, with the gifts that you have. And it's been an awesome blessing for us, even for my family, as you know, people have sort of written their names in for to do things um, and to work for the Lord. And it's exciting when you, you see people eager to serve and eager to be used of the Lord. That's exciting for me as a pastor. Um, the Apostle John, so you know, I'm, I'm, what, what does he say? Actually, I'm trying to think what the exact words are. Um, sorry? It's a bit, we need a bit louder. Someone just go over there and just turn up the volume of touch. Um, the Apostle John says that it gives him no greater uh, joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. And walking in the truth means not just understanding what doctrine is, but actually living it. And living it is our challenge. I mean, that step from knowing to actually doing is actually quite a big step for many people. Um, but the Lord calls us not just to take a step, but this whole thing is about a walk, right? And even a race, uh, not a sprint. It's actually a long-term race that, that takes up our entire life. And so how we live for the Lord is that step, that first step, God gives you more grace. That next step in faith, God gives you more grace. That next step in faith, God gives you more grace. Your faith increases, God gives you more and more. So you start off small and you end up bigger and bigger as time goes on. So we've had a look at our gifts and I went to a fair bit of effort to help us to understand what distinguishes the foundational gifts that were required in the early church to the gifts that are available to us now. And I hope that you understood that because it really revolves around the completion of God's word. Where God's word was not available in the early church because it was still being written, God filled in the gaps with people who were given direct revelation. And that's why we have things such as prophecy in the, in the early church. We have people who have the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. We have people who are speaking in different languages, but we don't have those today. And the reason for that is that the Word of God was incomplete. So where you don't have the Word of God, and we looked at this particular verse, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But if you only have a quarter of the New Testament, what do you do with those answers or questions that you have? And God filled them in with godly people who were given gifts to answer those questions. But it was always only temporary and always ever only in part. It wasn't complete like the Word of God. But now we have the complete Word of God, and it itself says to us that it is able to make us perfect, thoroughly furnished, thoroughly furnished like a house, complete, because it is perfect. If the Word of God was not perfect and complete, it wouldn't say to us, it can make you perfect. So my prayer is this morning, and we're continuing with our... Uh, a subject that I spoke on last week, which was Philip the Evangelist. And I was wondering what to preach on this morning and how it would flow from um, this particular message. And I thought to myself, wow, okay, so we started Philip the Evangelist last week, but evangelism is a gift, right? So I thought, well, well what better way to, to continue with this particular look at these gifts? But what we see with these gifts is also the faithfulness that is required for those gifts. And then I pray you'll put together in your heart and in your mind because you can be given amazing gifts, but you may not have the faithfulness to use them. 
And so the prayer today is by the end of this uh, uh, conference that you'll not only understand and be eager about using the gifts of God in your life, but you'll be faithful in using them as well because it requires faithfulness. And we'll see that now in Philip's life. Let's open up in a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless us as we seek to learn from your word. Bless me and use me, hide me behind your cross, that people may see you rather than me and your love and your wisdom and your grace, Father. So use me as an instrument in your hand, I pray, that my brothers and sisters here may be blessed with this word. We thank you so much for it. We thank you that we can hold it in our hands and we have this extraordinary blessing of being able to take this word and to learn it every day of our lives. Help us never to forsake it. Help us to always appreciate it. Help us to also always understand it is the foundation of our faith and our doctrine. Bless us now as we seek to learn of you and your ways. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It seems to be pretty warm in here still. It's something not... Um... Maybe it's a little bit too high. Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And we'll read to verse 40, just as we um, give you a bit of a recap on, on what we spoke about last week. Um, but this is the, uh, the message of, or the story of Philip and the eunuch. So Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading and read Isaiah the prophet. That's Isaiah. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. 
one of the lessons that we learn regarding Philip, um, who found himself in Samaria, if you remember, uh, preaching the gospel in Samaria to the Samaritans because the church was being persecuted. And so there was a bit of an exodus from Jerusalem where they were kicked out of the temple and when they were being persecuted, primarily by the apostle, well, he wasn't an apostle then, he was Saul, right? So he was dragging people out of their homes and throwing them into prison. And so the Bible teaches us and says that the, the disciples and people that were believers scattered from Jerusalem, but wherever they went, they ended up sharing the gospel. So that was a praise. We saw that sometimes God brings persecution and suffering in order that to get his people moving. Okay, And that was the case here. And Philip found, found himself in Samaria, and he began to preach the gospel over there, and praise the Lord, the Samaritans believed. And so many of them actually became believers because he was faithful enough to preach the gospel. And so word was sent back to the church in Jerusalem where the apostles still were. They hadn't gone anywhere. And so who arrived? Peter and John to verify what was going on because up to this point, the Samaritans hadn't received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so everyone got excited about this. And so if you remember and recall, the reason Peter had to be there was because Peter was given the keys to the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said the gospel is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world, that's exactly the order we find the gospel being opened up. It started in, in, in Jerusalem. That's where Pentecost started. It went to Judea, to the outer, outer parts of Jerusalem. Then it went to Samaria, which is where Philip was the first one to share the gospel. And then it went to Australia. We are the outermost part of the earth. So praise God for that. But what it was telling us, what Jesus was saying, was that starting with the Jews, the gospel was going to go out to other Jews, and then it was going to go to the Samaritans who were half Jew and half, they were sort of a mixed. And then it was going to go out to the Gentiles. And at every point, who was there to make sure that the Holy Spirit fell on each of those groups? The Apostle Peter. And so Peter came to Samaria to verify what was going on. And they saw that they believed. And so they prayed for them. And guess what happened next? The Holy Spirit came upon the Samaritans. And they knew that God was now working with the Samaritans too, that they had now also been brought into the church and God was uniting Jews and Samaritans who hated each other, by the way. Now they were coming together in the same family and later he would actually go to the Gentiles and bring in the Gentiles too. All those crazy Italians. Okay. After this amazing result, I mean, if you were Philip, you would have been over the moon. Imagine being the one to open the gospel to a whole group of people. He would have been over the moon. The next thing we see the angel of the Lord say to him, time to go, Philip. We're not hanging around here anymore. You've done your job. I want you to go somewhere. So you can imagine Philip's mind. He's thinking, where's he going to send me? If I can do this, maybe send me all the way to Rome. I'm going to, I'm going to preach the gospel there. But no, we find if you look at verse 26 and 27, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Hmm. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So we discovered that one of Philip's strengths was his faithfulness. 
He didn't get upset that God had, you know, oh, you're diminishing my, you know, my ranking now, Lord. No, God said, I want you to go now down towards the desert, towards the south. Did he tell him who was going to find when he got there? No. Did the guy have any idea what was going to happen? No. All he did was God said, go down south toward the desert, towards Gaza, and then wait until I give you the next set of instructions. He said, I shared with you how faithfulness is so important when it comes to using our gifts. And obviously, Philip had the gift of evangelism. God had planted this potential within him, this gift within him, and he was always ready when the Lord had, was directing him in a particular direction. He would be available whenever the Lord wanted him to go somewhere. When he called, he obeyed. We find almost an immediate response. He doesn't question. He doesn't say, Lord, hang on a sec, but why, how, when, where? He just goes and does what the Lord tells him to do. And so he doesn't complain about being sent to a desert to evangelize who knows who there. His faith was simply in the Lord. And because he had faith, he was faithful. You see how those two things are related? If I trust someone, but I may not know all the details, if someone says, if someone, let's say a, a fireman comes to your house and knocks on the door and says, time to get out. Um, there's a fire. The question is going to be whether I trust him enough to actually simply follow his instructions because he knows maybe what's going on. There might be a fire upstairs and I wasn't aware of, or you don't. And this is when it comes to God. When it comes to the Lord, the question is going to be, our obedience is going to be linked to our faith in him. If you don't really trust God, you are not going to obey him. And Philip does. Philip, whatever the Lord told him, he just did. His faith was in the Lord. And so he arose and went. Do you think it was an easy thing for Philip to take up, just pick up and say, start walking all the way down to, to Gaza? This wasn't next door. This wasn't a couple of blocks down the road. God simply said, I want you to start take, you know, taking off in this direction. And he did. Faithfulness to the Lord requires movement, but requires a choice and an effort. You know, Philip could have been anywhere else. He could have said, Lord, I've done this stuff for you over here at Samaritans. I'm going to take a break now. You know, I need a holiday because, you know, I've worked so hard. And, you know, I'm going to head back to, uh, I don't know, maybe some coastal city take a bit of a break over there, but no. He could have been anywhere else, but now he finds himself heading towards a desert. And the lesson for us here is that he had to deny something else in order to follow the Lord's will. You see, we can't be in two places at once, can we? If God asks you to be there, you can't be there at the same time. And so it requires us to let go of some things if we're going to take hold of the kingdom of God. Do you remember the parable of the two sons that Jesus spoke about? A father had two sons and he said to the first, you know, go and work in my vineyard. Um, I think it may have been his farm. And the first son said, no, no, I, I don't want to go working there. And then after a while, he changed his mind and he went and did the actual work. He went to the second son and said, you know, son, can you go and work in the vineyard? And the son said, yeah, no worries, dad. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And he didn't go. So Jesus asked the actual the, the people who were listening to him, 
Who did the will of the Father? The first. And sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I know, God, I'll, I'll go wherever you want. I'll do whatever you say. But the question's going to be, are you actually going to do it? Most of us are very well-intentioned. But when it comes to action, that's the hard part, isn't it? And so we need to be aware of what we're saying yes to. And that's, very, that's something we need to be, uh, be very careful of as well. So Philip did the will of the Father. He got up, he arose, and he went. And behold, he met someone. Do you think that was by accident? No. God had already lined it up. He'd already been working on the eunuch's heart, on the Ethiopian's heart. He was already getting him to read the scripture passage. God knew exactly what was going on and where he was going to meet him on this particular day. So verse 27 says, And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure. This guy was a treasurer of the whole country. And he'd come to Jerusalem for to worship. That's an interesting one was returning back to Ethiopia and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. You know what a eunuch is, don't you? A eunuch is someone who has been purposely damaged in order for them to fulfill a particular role. You see, a man who has been damaged in that way doesn't normally have um, affections for women. They lose that that type of affection and uh, preoccupation. They don't have that desire. Nor, nor can they have a family, nor have children. And this fellow was a government official in, from Ethiopia. He was the treasurer, in fact. Now, God tells, is going to tell Philip to go and preach to that guy. Now, have a think about this for a moment. If the treasurer of I don't know, Australia or Victoria was traveling in a car down the road and God says to you, I want you to run up to that car. And see that guy, that, you know, the, the, the guy from the Labor Party or whatever else it may be, I want you to go and preach to that guy in that car because at the moment I've, I've got my, my heart set on him and I want him saved. Wherever party is from, I don't really care. And so you run up to the car. Now, can you think of how many, how many reasons people would give for not going there? Um, Lord, he's a eunuch. You know what I mean? He's a, he, there's something wrong with his sexuality. He's not a proper man. He's been, he's been, there's something wrong with him. So why would I go? Lord, he's a foreigner. He won't understand me when I go and speak to him. How can he understand me? He's from Ethiopia. Or maybe, I don't know, I don't know much about this guy. Lord, he's a, you know, he's a politician. Now, I don't trust politicians, Lord. This guy is like a treasurer of the entire foreign country, which I know nothing about. I heard pretty bad things about this country, Lord. Well, maybe he's, he's intimidating. You know, one of, the, one of the side effects of being a eunuch was you got pretty big. And most of them were overweight, big guys. So maybe that was intimidating for him. Oh, Lord, come on, you want me to run up to that moving vehicle? I'm going to look stupid running up to the side of the vehicle. Oh, can I talk to you today? Or maybe he's got guards around him. 
So maybe that would have been an excuse. Lord, look at the, the, the armed guards around him. If I go near him, they, they're going to, they might try and kill me if they're thinking I'm, a, that I'm trying to attack him. But he doesn't. What does he do? He immediately goes toward the chariot, which is moving. It's not still, it's moving. And something strange happens here. When he gets to the chariot, the Ethiopian's reading from the Bible. He's reading from Isaiah, from the precise place where it's speaking about the Lord Jesus. Which this is a passage about him and how he would be sacrificed for the sin of the world. What was he doing reading Isaiah? Well, it says he was coming back from Jerusalem because he had gone there to worship. So you know what? He was a believer in the God of Israel. We don't know exactly if he'd, if he'd been a proselyte or if he'd become a Jew or whatever else it is, but he believed in the God of Israel because he'd been to Jerusalem to worship and he was heading back home. And so, amazingly, God had set up this encounter exactly right at every possible detail. That's the amazing thing about God, isn't it? The Bible tells us that God pre-prepares works for us to walk in them. So it's not us who organises all the details, it's him. He organises all the details. But when he says to us, okay, I want you to just get up and move over there now, that's all we have to do. All we have to do is the simple thing and he does everything else. He's organised everything already. He was already working in the heart of the Ethiopian as well. Philip had obeyed, he'd gone into the desert, and now God was going to give him the next step to the plan. I want you to go to that chariot. So look at verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither. Philip doesn't walk, he doesn't slouch, he doesn't take his time. He ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I? except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Who organized that? It was the Lord again. So Philip, once again, didn't wait. He runs to the actual chariot and he hears the Ethiopian reading, excuse me, reading Isaiah. And now the gift that God gave Philip was going to kick into action. And he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Now, until he got to that point, until he got to right next to the chariot, he hadn't heard him read Isaiah. It's only when he got to the actual chariot. And so he hears the Ethiopian reading Isaiah and he, and he automatically jumps into evangelism mode. And the response is fantastic because the response is coming from a heart that wants to understand. How can I unless someone explains this to me? You know, sometimes for those, of, for those of you who love to share the gospel, a question is often a fantastic place to start. You ever started a conversation with a simple question? Yeah. Sometimes to start a conversation with someone about the Lord Jesus Christ is to simply ask them a question. An open question, not a closed question, not a question that requires a yes or a no, but a question that asks them, their opinion about something. What do you think about Christianity? What do you think about the Bible? What do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you think about him? What do you know about him? 
Um, what do you think about church or whatever? It could be really about anything. Because those things begin to make that person think okay, about what it is. Now, when I say ask a question that's open, I also need you to understand that you need to be open. Be prepared to hear something that's completely against what you, what you think. And you shouldn't be afraid of it either. You know, some people are afraid to ask questions because they're afraid of the answer. And if someone gives me an answer, if, if I ask someone, what do you think about the Bible? I'm afraid. I better not ask that question because if I ask that question, they might say, oh, the Bible's a book of myths or the Bible's a load of rubbish or it's just a, a book of you know, principles or whatever. Some people are afraid to hear the answer. So when, I, when you ask a question of someone like that, and those are, I think, a good question to start off. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think he came for? What do, who do you think he is? And most people will be more than willing to probably give you their opinion about that. But you need to be prepared to listen. Because if the only reason you're asking a question so is that you can jump in and immediately hit them with all guns blazing, it's not going to work. We need to be people who listen well who understand where people are coming from, who listen to them before we are ready to speak. Being always ready to speak and always ready to say is not the way you get through to people. And so in this particular case, Philip asked a legitimate question and he got a legitimate answer because it came from the heart of someone who wanted to learn, who wanted to know. He wanted to understand, so he admitted to Philip now, if unless someone explains this to me, I'm not going to actually know it. I'm not going to understand it. And so he invites Philip into the chariot, up with him. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Understanding is crucial. God sent Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch because he was open to the truth. And God was already working in his heart. So the Lord wanted him to understand the gospel. And that's where preaching comes into it. That's why believers are so important. That's why you are so important for the gospel to go out into this world. Philip was a man. He was a, a normal person. He had the gift of evangelism. But unless someone was, was there to explain what this scripture meant to the Ethiopian, he would not have understood. He was not saved. Preaching is crucial. And so... You are crucial. Don't be intimidated. You might say, oh, but pastor, I don't know as much as you. I don't know as much as, much as uh, Brother Alan. I, I, I don't know how to explain the gospel fully. I will guarantee you that you know a lot more than they do. And you don't have to have the answers for everything in life. No one does. But if someone came to you and said, can you explain what chapter 53 of Isaiah means, who's it talking about? I'm sure you'd know. All of you would know. This is talking about Jesus. And so in verse 32, it tells us the place of the scripture, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. That's justice. And he shall declare his generation. 
for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Who's Isaiah talking about? Of himself or someone else? You know, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is probably the one that has led more Jews to the Lord than any other chapter in the Old Testament. When you read chapter 53 of Isaiah, if you're not familiar with it, we're going, we're going to read a small portion of it now. Um, it is so clearly declaring who Jesus is, who that prophet was that was being sacrificed, that it makes it difficult to argue against. But this chapter is one of the most heart-wrenching pieces of literature anywhere. It pictures the nature of a saviour, of a redeemer who went as innocently as a lamb, didn't open his mouth, but allowed himself to willingly walk into a slaughter. The Ethiopian didn't understand who he was reading about, but by the end of it, he would. And I want to share with you just the first six verses of Isaiah, and you can take the rest of your time to read this, but have a, have a listen to these words and tell me who... You think this is, if you haven't read this before. Who hath believed our report? And to whom of the arm of the Lord is the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid as, as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him sticken, uh, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here is the gospel of salvation, written some 700 years before Jesus was born on this earth, and it describes perfectly why he went to the cross. How did Philip respond to this eunuch's need when that chapter was read together? In verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What a blessed thought. I would have loved to have heard this conversation. I would have loved to have been sitting in that chariot as well. But unfortunately, it's not recorded for us, this conversation. But as the Apostle Paul describes, preaching is the important thing. And I'm going to get you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me, because the Apostle Paul describes the power and the necessity of preaching and how important God considers preaching to be, which is what Philip was doing with this Ethiopian. First Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen. 
going to try and preach this to you. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. How important is preaching? It's very important. Am I the only one doing preaching? Am I the only one called to preach? No, no, we are all called to preach. Preaching is a heartfelt call to people to explain the gospel of the living God, to share with them what we have, to explain to them what God has done, to explain his character and tell them about this wonderful saviour that has changed their lives. We're all called to preach, all of us. Philip did it one with one. And if that's what's comfortable with you, do it one with one. Preaching is very important. And by the power of that preaching, by God's leading, and by the grace of God, the eunuch believed, praise God. The eunuch was so eager to take now the next step in his life that he asked as soon as they were passing an area of water, he asked this amazing question in verse 36 of of chapter 8 in Acts. He says, and as they went, and it says, as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? What a great question. Fantastic question. What's stopping me from being baptized too? You see, Philip must have explained what had happened in Jerusalem. How the Holy Ghost had come down and, and 3,000 people on that first day got saved and we baptised them all and then everyone who, who believes and confesses the Lord Jesus, we baptise them. And so the eunuch must have said, oh, what about me now? I believe. What a great question. But it's at this particular point, we must take a pause and take notice of Philip's answer. For the answer provides a very important key to knowledge and salvation. It describes the order that things are to be done and the core of the message, which is the kind of belief that gives your heart to God, that believes with the heart, not just with the mind. You see, you can believe that there was an historical figure, a prophet, a great man who lived 2,000 years ago, who died on a cross and did miracles and rose again on the third day without ever believing in him with your heart. You can go through your entire life like that but you won't be saved. And so Philip's answer to this is so crucial. Oh, what's stopping me from being baptized too? And Philip's answer to that is in verse 37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. 
And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now listen to those words again. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe with all of your heart, you may be baptized. So the, the eunuch spoke these words now, not just from his head, but he spoke them from his heart. And praise God, he was saved. And this is the distinguishing feature between someone who is born again, a child of God, a saved individual, and someone who is messing around with religion. Someone who was just following what their parents did. Someone who is going along with the tradition that they've been brought up with. Someone who is following the customs of their area. Someone who thinks going to church is just a nice thing to do because, you know, it makes me feel good about it. Someone who is trying to please other people with their life by going to church saying, oh yeah, my wife will be happy with me being there. Or my, my husband will be happy if I just go along to this whole thing. You know, and it's nice going there. I think it's a good thing. We learn some good principles at church. I'm telling you now, you can go to church for a thousand different reasons and not be saved. But the only thing that matters is if you are saved from the beginning. Because if you believe all these things intellectually, if they're just part of your life by routine or by tradition or custom or by because you're pressured into it by someone else or you're trying to please someone else, the Bible says you're not saved. Because you haven't believed in the one who can save you with your heart. And unless you receive him with your heart, you haven't received salvation. You're playing religion and the saddest thing about that is there's a lot of effort that goes into people who play religion. But at the end, there's going to be some of the most scariest words that I've ever heard and read in the Bible is when they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, didn't we do this for you? And they call him Lord, mind you. Didn't we cast out devils for you? Didn't we do miracles for you? Didn't we do all wonderful things for you? And Jesus' words to them are, depart from me. I don't know you. So the question this morning is really, do you know him? Not just intellectually, but do you know him in your heart? Because that's all that really matters for you as a person. And if you don't know Jesus Christ in your heart, if he is not the center of your life, if you haven't received him as your Lord and Savior, then this morning needs to be that time. Without him in your life, you have nothing. You have a very bleak and terrible destiny awaiting you. Because you will have to face the living God and give an account of all your sins and you will have to pay for them. The other thing I want us to consider here and why it's this, this verse is so important. Verse 37, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God is that most of the Bibles we have that are being sold in all the bookshops don't even have this verse in them. They don't have it. If you have an, an ESV or a NIV or an NEB or LT or NLT or TIV or Good News or RSV or a hundred other versions, you don't even have this verse in your Bible. So the, so the Ethiopian eunuch asks a question and there's no response. They just go down and get baptized. So what's the, what's the message when you leave this verse out? You can get baptized without even believing in your heart. 
and you might say, but Pastor, why is why does the King James have this verse, but all these other ones don't? It's because they're translated from corrupted manuscripts. You see, there are two big groups of manuscripts. Not two big groups, I should say. There is a little group of manuscripts, okay, which are count about 5% of all the manuscripts that we've ever gotten. 95% of them are what are called the majority text or the received text. That's where the King James gets translated from. There are 5% where all the new translations are, are translated from. And this is not the only missing verse. There are hundreds of them, not just missing, but changed. So that they actually tell you a different thing to what the scriptures actually say. Extraordinary. If you ever wondered and, and, uh, and asked or queried why we use the King James here, um, do you remember... Why the Lord gave us the, the foundational gifts? Do you remember the early church and all those gifts that you know that God gave that we don't see in the church today? He gave them because the word of God was not complete. And so he had to supplement that gap with people who got direct revelation from God so they could fill it in. Now, 2,000 years later, when the word of God was completed before 90 AD or around 90 AD, when we've had the word of God for centuries, we now are getting Bibles being translated with missing verses that are not complete. And the average person who was reading their NIV, they'll go straight from verse 36 to 38 without even a thought. They won't realize that there's a verse missing. They won't, they won't cotton on that there's something wrong. But they've got missing Verses, they have missing chapters. There are places where there are so many corruptions, it's incredible. And so the challenge that we have in our day is not just, okay, the purity of God's word, because that's why we read the KJV, because we want the purest word. If the Bible is able to furnish you and make you perfect, then it has to be perfect. It has to be complete. If it's not complete, then how can it make you perfect? There are things that are missing and things that are, that are not being said properly. It can't make you complete. And so we have, once again, this world has a situation where the word of God is not complete. What's interesting about that whole thing is that where those manuscripts come from, where most of the, most of the new Bibles are being translated today, the two main ones, which account for most of the actual things, one came from Alexandria in Egypt. Um, interesting background to that one. They found it in a bin, okay, in a monastery. And the other one came from the Roman Catholic Church. Um, why would the Catholic Church have a Bible translation that misses this verse, you wonder? Have you ever thought about that? Um, because babies can't believe. Babies can't believe. You see, what stops me from being baptized? You may if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart. And a baby can't do that. And I've been baptized as a baby. But babies can't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in their heart. And according to them, there's actually no belief at all required to be baptized. Just go ahead and sprinkle some water on them just get them in while they're young, because if you can lock them in young, 
they'll never actually question later on. You see? See how it works? You lock them in when they're a baby and by the time they started to grow to five or six or seven, oh, no, you were a Catholic. You were born a Catholic. You were born this. Or your parents have always been this. Your grandparents, this is our history. This is who we are. And so they never come to a point where they receive Christ as their saviour because there's never a need, is there? If I was baptised when I was a baby, what do I have to do anything for? I'm just a Catholic by name, okay? That's so dangerous. That is absolutely so dangerous. But people can be saved by the preaching of the gospel. When it comes to understanding the word of God and doctrine and growing and the knowledge of the Lord, there's only one really version that you can rely on for that. That's why we stick to this particular version. So let's continue. Let's actually turn with me to Romans chapter 10, verse 8. Because the Ethiopian eunuch responded with belief. And it's exactly the same way the Apostle Paul describes what happens when a person is saved. And he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why we believe that salvation is a gift. You simply call on the Lord. He saves you. You don't work for it. You receive it at a moment. God changes you, makes you his child, puts his spirit within you. He seals you. He gives you a completely new identity, a new heart. He makes you one of his and you can never, ever be lost. But then what ends up happening is something changes within you. And this particular Ethiopian, he wanted to get baptized right away. Come on, let's, let's do this. God was working within his heart. He wanted to obey Jesus will save all who believe in him and call upon him to be saved. That poor thief that was dying next to Jesus on that cross simply said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that was enough. Jesus would never forget him or let him go. And so they arrived at the water. And look at this, it says in Acts 8.38, And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Now we come to another important passage that reinforces what we are doing sitting in a Baptist church. Because there has to be enough water for a person to go under it. It doesn't work with sprinkling. It actually defeats the whole purpose. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. They both came up, up 
and out of the water in this particular passage. Baptism is not a process of washing away your sins. It doesn't add anything to you spiritually. If you think that being baptised is going to make you a more spiritual person, then let me tell you otherwise. It won't. All it does is tells everyone else that you're willing to be obedient to God, that this is what's happened to you, that by going under that water, you died. The old you is now dead and God has raised you up to a new life. He's given you something. He's made you new. You are born again. Your soul is new. You don't see the world the same way anymore. You don't see him the same way anymore. It doesn't, water doesn't wash away your sins. What washes away the sins? It's the blood of Christ that washes away of sins, that blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. Water has nothing to do with washing away sins. In fact, water going under and, and up is a reflection of the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that you've entered into that with him. So water actually becomes a picture of being buried, dying. And that's why if there's not enough water to go under, the picture is lost. The symbolism is lost completely. And so that's one of the reasons that the Baptists were always not very well liked. Not by the Roman Catholic Church, that's for sure. And so that's why the early version of the Baptist Church, the Anabaptists, or probably the, the, the ones who actually that have been going for a long time, but under different names, and, and names that were given to them, mind you, not names they gave themselves. You see the word Baptist? We never came up with that name. The Lutherans came up with their own name, right? So their, their church is named after Luther, okay? Because he was the founder of that particular denomination. You know who Baptists were named after? Not John the Baptist, if you ever thought that. Because originally we were called rebaptizers. And do you know why? It was a derogatory term. Look at those rebaptizers over there. Look at them. And the name stuck. All right. You're calling me a rebaptizer, that's fine. Because the problem with the with the early with the uh, sorry, the church of the Roman Catholic Church, where, the, where everyone was being sprinkled when they were babies, and then the Orthodox Church as well that did the same thing, and then the, the Reformation churches that came out of the Reformation, including the Lutherans, the Anglicans, Presbyterians, is they all continued the same thing. Still sprinkling babies. And there's this group of rebels on the side over here that if they started going to their church, they said, uh, have you been baptised? And they oh, we'll sprinkle as a baby. All right, we've got to do you again. And so they got upset. These churches got upset. The Lutherans got upset. The Presbyterians got upset. The Calvinist churches got upset. All these different churches all got upset with Baptists because they, were, they, they dared to re-baptise a person who had been baptised as a baby. And so the name stuck. What audacity not to accept the sprinkling of a baby. But do you see why the word of God is so important? Because you won't find anywhere in the word of God that a baby's being baptised and you will find the same, the same order every time in the Bible. People believed, confessed, then were baptised and added to the church. It's always in that order. Never the other way around, never, never confused in any particular way. They were always baptised after they believed. That's why the word of God is so, so important. 
And do you see why faithfulness is also important? Philip was faithful. He faithfully declared the word of God. He was faithful to go where God called him. He was faithful to run up to that chariot and share that word. He he faithfully declared the word to that Ethiopian. And when the Ethiopian said, what's stopping me? He faithfully said, do you believe with all your heart? Then you can. He didn't say, all right, let's just go down. No, he was faithful to the word. And what's something that amazing that happens after they come out of the water? The Ethiopian, they both come up out of the water. Must, it might have been sort of a, uh, a descent going down into it. Uh, the Ethiopian looks around and where's Philip? He's gone. He didn't run away. The Bible says the Spirit of God picked him up and took him away. And the Ethiopian had no idea what was going on. He was there one minute and the next minute he was completely gone. Um, I <laughs> wondered how he picked him up and did that. Have you ever wondered if the Holy Spirit can do that with an evangelist like Philip in this fallen world? Have you ever wondered what the new creation is going to be like? Do you know that Jesus, you know, when he when he rose again, he started appearing, disappearing, walking through walls. He could do anything. I often wonder what our lives are going to be like in this new creation. Are we going to be picked up by God and brought, flown to all over all places where he wants us to be? I often wonder that. But it's going to be exciting to, to think about and to see it one day. And so what we find is even that where it described what happened. The, the, the Holy Spirit picked him up took him somewhere, and they were even told in verse 40 where he was taken. It says, but Philip was found. <laughs> I like that. He was found. They found him. Oh, this is where he is. He's over here. Okay, he was at Azotus. And, and once again, we see the faithfulness of this man. The faithfulness, the willingness, the boldness to share the gospel. And he passed through preaching to all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Can you imagine... The stories, because we know later on in Philip's life that, that he had four daughters and he lived, he lived with them and they, were, and they had the gift of prophecy in those days. But we find that he was around and then the Apostle Paul goes to visit him at his house and stays with him for a while. Can you imagine the stories that Philip would have had? As he sat down with the Apostle Paul and Paul says, you know, I heard about you and the Ethiopian. Like what happened after that? What was that like? Can you imagine that, that discussion? Oh, yeah, I was there one minute, and all of a sudden I was flying, and I don't know what happened, but then I just found myself, you know, my feet landed on the ground over the Nazotus, and God said, start preaching. Can you imagine that discussion? Can you imagine all the discussions with all his friends, all the family, friends asking him, what happened to you? We heard about, you know, how you disappeared. How was the Ethiopian? What was that, what was that like? Can you imagine one day in heaven, you or I may be sitting with him? Would you ask him? What happened on that day? What was it like when God snatched you away and took you over, over there? What happened in those odors? What happened with this Ethiopian? What a wonderful conversation that would be. Philip was transported to his next assignment. And he continued to do the things that he had done before, which was simply being faithful. 
and using the gifts that God had given him. This is our calling. This is what God has called you to be. He has called you to faithfulness and to use the gifts that he's given you for his glory, not for us, not for this church, but for him and him alone. And we are blessed when we do that. And the beautiful thing about that is when you use your gift, there's blessing that comes from it. There's rejoicing that comes from it. Look at the result of the Ethiopian as he came up. The Bible says he was rejoicing and went on his way. He went on his way. And now there's historically, there's a tradition that the Ethiopian returned to Ethiopia and brought Christianity to there. And Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, was apparently converted by him. And you know what he became apparently? We don't know if this is 100% true because this is written by Iranius and a number of other fathers in the early church. Actually, I'll, re I'll read, I'll read the, 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 the passage from uh, Irenaeus of Lyons in his book. Um, in 180 AD, he says he, he wrote regarding the Ethiopian eunuch and it says, the man, and he wrote, and he, he, they know his name, Simeon Bacchus, the eunuch, the eunuch was also sent into the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he had himself believed, that there was one God preached by the prophets, <clears throat> but that the son of this God had already made his appearance in human flesh and had been led as a sheep to the slaughter and all the other statements which the prophets made regarding him. You know, it will be a lovely, a lovely opportunity for us to meet this man one day because the story goes that he became an evangelist as well. God bless you. I pray that this was a, a blessing to you. Remember, use your gifts for the glory of God. There's no better place to be. Let's close in a hymn this morning. This, uh, to wrap up this uh, conference. Today I'm going to ask you to stand, but I'm going to ask you more importantly to think about the words you're singing. Please mean them from your heart. Take my life and let it be. Sing nice and loud. Take my life and let it be.
ever only all for thee. Ever only all for thee. I pray that you all have been blessed with this morning and with this weekend. Remember, that is the theme of our life. We belong to him. Do everything in your power. Do everything by his grace to glorify him in your life. Don't hold back. Because there's an eternity waiting for us on the other side. We're saved, but there's so much more. Okay, So make the most of every moment you have for him because he deserves it. If there are any here who don't know if they're saved this morning, who don't know the Lord Jesus and that they are going to heaven because of what he's done for them, please don't leave this place without asking the question like the Ethiopian. Okay, Ask the question. There is an answer and the word of God will provide it for you. And for those of us who are walking with the Lord, let's walk even more faithfully. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you allowed your only begotten Son to take our place on that cross. We thank you that he gave his life for our sake. And now you deserve our lives completely. We have been bought with that precious blood of Christ, the blood of the perfect Lamb, who was perfectly innocent, but took our place. Father, help us to remember that sacrifice that was made for us. May his love transform our lives so that we may love you fully, that we may love each other and love this world. Father, use us for your glory. Lead us along your paths. Open up our eyes to the truth and give us the grace we need to live it. I pray for a blessing on every person who's here this morning. I pray that you would bless them, give them peace, the joy of knowing Jesus Christ in their lives, the grace they need to live lives fully for you, and the hope, Father, that he will come soon to take us home with him. Bless us now as we depart and we enjoy this fellowship. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you.
good lighting again, praise God. Fantastic. You well? Yes. Of course. Yeah. We had some news last week, which is going to be a lot of fun. Where's the one? Yeah, I should have got some of the parents tonight. Yeah, yeah.